Finding herself, sharing the journey. With music by Trudy Rushen and technical support by Wayne van der Berg. This episode has been kindly sponsored by Exclusive Books, Cavendish Square, in Claremont. For Dawn Garish, writer, doctor, teacher, the link between writing and physical and mental health is obvious and crucial. It's also a way of life, as she's both a doctor who writes and a writer who heals. Well, a fully qualified medic in a number of disciplines, she also writes across disciplines too. Poetry, novels, adult and young adult, short stories, literacy booklets, documentaries, dramas, plays and articles of all sorts. But over and above her personal output, Dawn has created a platform for others to find themselves and heal through words. It's called the Life Writing Collective. Her patients in both fields have cause to be grateful both for her healing and her inspiration. But what about Dawn herself and her own work? What was her history with books and writing? Well, I was always encouraged to read. And and actually, when I started writing at the age of seven, reading at the age of five, writing at the age of seven, um, yeah, my parents really encouraged me to do that. So I was very grateful to them, although there were no writers in the family that I'm aware of. My older sister is an artist, but other than that, there's no obvious creatives in the family. Um, yeah, my parents, I, I was born in, in what was then Rhodesia. Um, yeah, the, my parents actually were from South Africa. So we ended up back here when my father retired. And it's just been a mainstay of my life, this business of books and reading and libraries. I think there's a library in just about every book that I've written. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly a mainstay, but a thread that's absolutely fixed there, reading at five, writing at seven. What were you writing at seven? Can you remember? Have you still poem. got it? A poem, yeah. <laughs> Not a very good poem. It actually was a song. <laughs> um, and I wrote my own newspaper. <laughs> well, you know. A lot of it was scribbling, but there were a lot of headlines and pictures. <laughs> but that was, yeah, where I started. So you could have been a newspaper editor, never mind all the novels and all the other things. <sighs> so clearly it was something that you were destined to do. Did you, did you or your parents decide at an early age, I must take this further? I mean, did you think, OK, I must pursue this? You know, what was your sort of educational step, if you like? Well, I had good English teachers at school who encouraged me. Um, I had two older sisters who read a lot and put books into my hands, some quite hectic books. I mean, I had a sister who was a feminist who put the female eunuch in my hand when I was about 12. <laughs> so, you know, education, my eyes were wider sources. Um, but, yeah, I, I just found my own way through friends who were readers, through library, school librarians who encouraged me, through getting published in English Alive and things like that you know, very early on. And um, I got, you know, in medicine there wasn't much time to write. It was only once I had 
my first child that I got seized by an incredibly powerful urge to write at a time where you've got no time to write because you've got this little beautiful creature to look after. But that's when I started writing again in earnest and um, just snatching time whenever I could. I mean, that's the thing about writing, that you can snatch time. I was married to an artist who had to stretch up the canvas and stare at the canvas for a day and then mix up the paints. And he always looked at me with some envy that I could just, you know, snatch half an hour there and, um, yeah, so once you're inside the, I mean, it's like reading. This is what I always say to people because they say, uh, don't you have to be so disciplined to write? And no, it's like reading. If you're reading a book that has hooked you, that you're really enjoying, you can't wait to get back to it. And then you, you snatch half an hour here to, to carry on with the story. It's the same with writing, that you find the time whenever you can to carry on with exploring the story. And yet I don't know how you find the time when you're studying medicine. I mean, before we skate over the whole medical side of it, <laughs> obviously you chose to study medicine over writing. What, what was that decision? Where did that come from? Well, I didn't. Oh, I did actually think of being a librarian at some point, um, but I'm so glad I wasn't a librarian because medicine, besides anything else, has given me a lot of independence financially. And, um, and also I think librarians sometimes get stuck in sort of administrative positions which wouldn't have worked for me at all but I wanted to be close to books um, my my sister who did medicine and she insisted that I do medicine and I just fit in with the family plan you know she felt that that's the only way I would get anywhere in the world or well, women you know to have that kind of background so I'm, I'm grateful to her for that in that medicine you know, you're dealing with people's stories, but that was also the limitation of medicine because we don't really deal sufficiently with people's stories. You know, we put people in boxes, we give them, you know, we ask them sort of an algorithm, we put them into an algorithm. And it's a very sophisticated way of diagnosing and treating, but you don't know about their relationship with their grandmother or whether they've got a pet or, you know, whether they were bullied at school. And all these things might be impacting on their health but we leave that out. So uh, that's why I've entered this domain of medical humanities where there's an intersection of art and social sciences and the health sciences to talk about well-being. And that's why I'm part of the Life Writing Collective, which is a non-profit organization to help people write the story of their lives as a resource for um, for healing, for for revisiting difficult things in your life and revisiting the story you told yourself about it, which is always too small. That story is always too small. And we often feel like the victim of the story that we've told ourselves about what happened. And I'm not, I know it's easy to say that, you know, and people go through the most terrible things. But I think one of the tasks of life is to change a relationship with the story that you have been living. And one of the very powerful ways to do that is to write it down because then First of all, you get agency. You take, you take hold of the pen, pen and or laptop. It gives you some form of agency. You, you're shaping the story on the page. And then if you are writing out of the creative mind and not just putting down an anecdote or just chronicling your story, if you're getting into the creative mind, it's got roots down into the, the unconscious. So new information starts arriving, things that you didn't know you didn't know or things you didn't know you knew. And then suddenly the story breaks open and there's a door or you didn't know there was a door or there's an insight about somebody's behavior that can change your relationship and then you don't feel like so much a victim of what happened to you 
And I think that, you know, this thing of how do you come to terms with things in your life that were too awful, that are still too awful, well, that unfinished business about relationships or ill health or exile or, you know, whatever your political um, the stories you were born into, I'm, you know, I'm very fascinated by that at the moment, that um, we're born into these huge stories that shape our lives. And most of them, it's like a fish in water, you know, you don't even know that you're in the middle of the story, which is a religious story or a, a political story, a spiritual story, a, um, a genetic, epigenetic, cultural, traditional, you know, rich, all these stories that we're born into. And then, you know, Jung has an interesting thing to say that for the first 40 years, you either fall in with your parents or your culture's plan for you, or you resist it. So, you know, it's that thing, you, you fall in or you resist. But once you get to the age of 40, you've got to re revisit that story and say, well, actually, who am I? In How do I proceed? That uh, you take on the... Since you take on the story of your life, which has been hemmed in by maybe by fear or by reaction or by rebellion, and find out really who you are. And writing into the story of your life can help you to do that. Well, let's get back to finding out who you are. And I'm interested <laughs> to know if at the age of 40, yeah. you revisited oh, where you were coming time, from. But it time. sounds like a lot of what you say, which is so full of wisdom and makes such a lot of sense. It sounds like a lot of this you've learned by dint of doing it and through the experience, not only of writing, but working with others. Yeah. But and having studied all that time to do medicine, did you study writing, the, the craft, the art of writing at all? Did you do any courses? Did you any of those things? Uh, that came later. I mean, I wrote because I was compelled to. Um, the first course I ever went on actually was an editing course run by Robert Berold, who used to be the editor of New Coin. And um, he was the first person who got me published, which was a poem in New Coin. And um, since then, I've been on script writing courses, a couple of them. Um, I'm just trying to think a playwriting course. Uh, but largely, you know, one of the big ways of learning is through reading. You know, if you're going to be a poet, read poetry. If you're going to be write memoir, read memoir. And you, but you know, there's a book actually, a book called Reading Like a Writer, which I haven't read yet. It's still sitting upstairs on my shelf, but you can just read the title. So it's a thing of you can read to escape, or you can read to learn about the content. But you can also read to learn how did they do it? How is this working? Is this effective writing? Um, but but also what's fed into my interests also to help me pass on what I've learned through writing to others is um, I have also been on courses where which have dealt with psychology and um, you know the whole area of process work and embodied imagination. I'm really interested in the stories the body holds, you know, through illness, um, through trauma, through injury, and through genetics and epigenetics. So um, the the psychologists who have trained me, who Robert Bosnack and and uh, Arnold Mandel and Eugene Gendlin, uh, people like that, have really. Um, They've been interested in story in the psychological context, in mythology and folklore and why these stories are so powerful, fairy tales, why they're so powerful in our lives still. They've been handed down for hundreds of years. So um, that's, that's definitely been part of my training in that 
when I write, I'm curious about the human condition and how we construct stories that we live by and that live through us is the point. And I'm interested in the stories that, not just the stories that have shaped you, but the stories that you have shaped that have sort of displayed the pattern of your life. I'm looking over there at your bookshelf, which has got each and every one of the books that you've written, I think. Um, Maybe not the plays, I'm not sure. But... Could you sort of, if you were to look at your your books in terms of a timeline, could you read something into that? Is there something with what was your first book and what was the content? Because you talk a lot about the craft of the writing and the thought process of the writing, but the content, what was your first book and, and what were you saying with that? You ask such interesting questions, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've got a theory that writers are often gnawing at the same bone from different sides you know that we're spiraling in I think we're born into a big question in our lives at least one question and through our life we're trying to answer that question through the things that happen to us and how we manage them and for me one of the big it's it's in most of my work the split between art and science you know how to bring them closer together um that the whole question of of why we sometimes behave badly and um, what the consequences of that. Um, the whole, well, the, the question of separation, you know, this, this, first of all, the separation between art and science, but also the separation of divorce, the connections of, of our, our humanity, of community, where they break down. I mean, you've just read breaking milk it's full of separations and connections you know um really wanted to explore that in every domain that i could really you know from political to medical to um ritual uh to milk you know that separation making cheese (laughs) yeah so just to come back just just to bring you back kicking and screaming to that first book what was the first book what were you thinking with the first book and what what was it saying my first published book was once two islands uh and interestingly it's the only i don't know if you can call it a fantasy novel but it's a a made up uh, two islands and where it came from was well actually it was post-divorce and this whole thing of um love betrayal revenge forgiveness that that loop. Uh, I I had been Prospero in the Tempest. You know, the Tempest deals with those issues. And um, then my son was also in the Tempest around this very difficult time of the breakup of the marriage and divorce. And um, so I got to know the play really well. And then I started writing something that was based loosely on the themes and the characters of the Tempest. And lo and behold, summer school had a, a course on rewriting The Tempest. So I thought, oh, no, it's all been done before. So I went on this course and I discovered a whole lot of other books, including Marina Warner's lovely book, Indigo, um, and which fueled what I was writing. And I wrote the whole thing and it didn't work. But the, the themes didn't leave me. Um, so what I, And then I was invited to go to Antarctica. And as a ship's doctor, you know, like, you know, five days before the ship left, it was a big emergency and they were looking for a doctor. So I had this incredible experience. And on that trip, I heard about Tristan de Kuna and um, Deception Island, which is next door. And the stories were so amazing, I had to write them down in some form. So I made up these two islands, which is loosely based on Tristan de Kuna and, and um, 
Deception Island, and for me, that's the that's the split between the man and the woman, between science and art. Um, so there are these two characters. Have you ever read the book? <laughs> so there's, the main character is uh, Prospero. Is it, he's Doctor Prosper. He's based on Prospero. You know, he's the rational and the uh, scientific. And his uh, nemesis is um, Sophia, who is a, a, a traditional healer. And and then there's the daughter, his daughter. His his wife dies in childbirth, and the daughter is a Miranda figure. You know. And this whole story on the island and love, revenge, betrayal, forgiveness. Um, and that worked. So I just had to rewrite it in a different context and then it got published uh, quite a long time ago, actually. I remember when. Whilst you're reflecting back on how long ago that Oh, no, that wasn't my first book. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first adult book. My first first book was um, <clears throat> a youth novel called um, Not Another Love Story. In fact, I had two youth novels before, before Once Two Islands. <laughs> yes, and as your oeuvre gets bigger and bigger, I imagine it's going to be more and more difficult to sort of work out the timeline. Three, three youth novels. Okay, yes. okay. gosh, uh, so so many different so many different things. But I just, I just want to come back to the content and what, because you have written in so many disciplines. There's poetry, there's novels, there's um, there's play documentaries, all sorts of different things. What comes first, the the genre or the content? Do, do you think, I want to write about this, I'm inspired by a trip to Antarctica or whatever it may be. Mm. Do you think, how am I going to treat this? Or do you just start writing and then it slots itself into some or other discipline? Well, I remember Virginia Woolf saying that uh, the beginning of her one of her novels starts as a wave in the mind. I would say a wave in the body. You know, you get the seized by this feeling with a that, with an attached idea, and then you let it run. And I, you know, so once two islands, I think was going to be a a children's book, and it ended up being an adult novel. Uh, so sometimes these things, or for example, there was there's there's one short story that started off as a novel, it's ended up as a short story. So. You know, one just got to go with what the story requires, I think. You know, the story knows better than you do what it needs to be. <laughs> and I wonder if it knows that it needs to be healing you. And I wonder once you've released a story, a bit like giving birth to this particular story in whatever form it may be, if you feel depleted because you've now lost it, it's gone, it's finished out of your life, or do you feel sort of like it's left a space for something new? I mean, you talk a lot about the healing aspect of writing. Mm. Do you feel healed? Do you feel exhausted? What do you feel when you finish <laughs> a book? Um, I always think that if you write, if you write something down you put it down you know emotionally you, you put it down so there comes a point in the process where it feels like you've gone through a process and there it is you know like that's the end of the process um you know half the books i've written have not been published um so uh, speaking to a friend of mine whose book is coming out soon robert hamlin watch that space uh and he said because he came on a writing course, it's a memoir, and he said, yeah, absolutely, the writing of it was incredibly healing. He said the publication part was incredibly difficult. <laughs> so, you know, working with an editor and having to chop things out and having to revisit the story again and again, he found that very, very difficult. So um, I haven't found it that traumatic, but was well, occasionally, yes, uh, some bad experiences, but uh, I don't know, it's... it's 
it, it feels it feels finished. It's out in the world. It's beyond your control, and and then people have their own responses to it. That's the other interesting thing, you know, that you have the situation where you've had this intention with the book. It, often in retrospect, you know, with Dance with Suitcase, it was only later that I discovered what the book was about when I'd finished it. But um, then people have their own responses and you've got no control over that, really. How much control do you have over the actual writing process? Because it's such a, it's such a long, lonely process. You can't, whatever else you can do, you can't write quickly. You, I mean, it's either going to come out or it's not. Yes. It may be a bit sort of constipated, but eventually it's going to come out. <laughs> do, you, do you spend many hours and hours sitting, looking at the screen or looking at, out of the window? Or does it come very quickly? How is the actual writing process and how much time do you spend writing? Well, it depends, you know. One, yeah. Yeah, well, first of all, I write whenever I can. You know, I've always got a poem on the go, at least. <laughs> um, but it's like, well, a poem is like a flip around the bay in a dinghy, and a novel is like stepping onto this big ship and going for a long cruise. And I, what I do is I write, and then I go to sleep, and then I get up the next day if I can write on two consecutive days, and then I briefly look over what I've read I might do a very brief edit you don't want to edit it too much in the first when you first put the first draft down because you can get tighter and tighter and in knots about your own writing you know you want to get the story down before you then go back and see what needs to be left out or what needs to be changed but um but that's reading over what you did the day before then gets you inside it's about writing from inside the story if you're writing from inside the story the story pulls you along and that's the fabulous feeling because you know, it's just, it's because if if we can trust that the story knows where it's going, and just needs you to pay attention, that's what the story requires. I mean, the creative project can't get into the world without your cooperation. So you cooperate by by going daily, if you can, to your computer and or your um, exercise book, and writing every day as much as you can, and um, and then the story starts coming through you in some mysterious way. And you often, you know, you can end up in writing something that you don't feel, you think, oh, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here. But if the story's got energy, if you write through that place, then you suddenly see all these connections in retrospect, which you didn't think in your thinking mind. You, it happened unconsciously. And so those two things help us have courage to live, I think, because if the story knows where it's going on some level, maybe your life knows where it's going on some level. Maybe you can trust your life, even though if you're in the most terrible situation, that something is trying to work itself through through your life. And if we can just get out of the way and pay deep attention and not be too reactive and not to try and fix things and they're not even broken or not try and... I don't know, go out and try and fix everybody else, but just pay deep attention and manage your own anxiety. Maybe we can trust that something will come through us. You know, I think that that's part of the problem, that we try and control things too much because our ego gets scared. But there's something else going on that we need to get curious about. So instead of being fearful, be curious about where is the story going in my life on the page. But then the other thing is that in retrospect, you can see all these things starting to make sense, make connection that you couldn't have seen, you know, in advance. So, so again, maybe that applies to life as well. Maybe we haven't had much as I'd love to. We don't have time to go through each and every one of your novels. But yeah. again, as you talk, I'm thinking 
you know, to a large extent, you've got to be in control of a book if you're going to produce it as a book and it's going to get published. You've got to be a bit in control. You can't just let it flow um, because you, it's got to have a sort of beginning and a middle and an end. But with each and every one of your books, do you feel as if you've sort of dealt with something, a particular thing in your life, consciously or unconsciously? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. All of them have helped me, you know... <sighs> For example, I've got two sons, and they both have got into dif different kinds of difficulty in their lives, which has freaked me out as a mother, you know, and you do what you can in the world, and then you've got to step back and think, okay, life's got to now step in and do something here. I've done all I can. And that's one of the reasons why creative process is regular creative practice is helpful, because it stops you, it helps you manage your anxiety while something else happens out in the world you know both my sons came through these difficulties they found their own way through with with other help but you know so you set out to write a novel and it takes at least a year so for at least a year you can restrain yourself from behaving badly hopefully <laughs> because you're so anxious and you can work through the issues you can give your your dilemma to fictional characters and let them run and see what they're going to do about it and in that process you learn about your own thought habits around these difficulties so with, with accident for example it's a mother-son relationship and um you know although the protagonist is not me and the son is not my son i gave them similar dilemmas to to work with and then i just stood back and watched and waited to see how they were going to deal with it you know but it it did mirror aspects of my own life and I learned something about it you know so if your novels mirror aspects of your own life your poems and I'm just reaching here for your latest little slim very elegant slim volume of poetry um it's not your first book of poems is it no this one's called disturbance it's very as I said beautiful and elegant and um monochromatic cover what how did you describe them a poem is like a little flip around the bay in a dinghy or whatever <laughs> it's a sweet but these are moments these are sort of razor moments um some of them are not so razor but some do you live every moment of your day where there's a I mean as you reach for a cup of tea there could be a poem in there are you very uh, conscious of, of where a poem is suddenly going to spring out at you no well I th you know there's for two poems in particular I'm thinking of in this collection, the one is The Lesson and about the girl with, who'd had brain surgery that I sat next to, and the other one is called Match. And both of those memories kept coming back to me, and I thought they were, they were kind of small memories in a sense. They kept coming back to me. And, you know, it took a long time, and I'm a writer. It took a long time for me to realize, but these are poems, you know. Just sit down and pay attention and write it down. And both of them, the, the, the resolution when it came to me was surprising. I didn't know that that was how the poem was going to end. So, you know, I think that our creativity is knocking at our door all the time. These opportunities, these unfinished business, unfinished business is an unfinished poem. So sit down and write it, you know, or an unfinished novel even, you know. Um, these, these are opportunities to explore them in a way that our thinking brain cannot. It's not possible for your thinking. You know, you can lie in bed thinking about your difficulties for years and it's not helpful. It's not taking you anywhere you're going in that loop but if you sit down and write it you start spiraling in on a partial answer to your dilemma 
And I suppose a lot of that depends on, on, on the success of a poem. I don't know if a poem is successful or not successful, but depends on your craftsmanship and how you use the words, which in itself is a good discipline to sort of get into. But um, And that poem about the young girl that you sat next to who then died, it's a heartbreaking little poem, yeah. um, such a... Such a delicate moment but the first poem which you've called a poem runs through is all about can we all please just write poetry <laughs> because it's it's like aspirin isn't it <laughs> well the collection starts with why we write poems you know the the function of poetry and the last poem is why we read poems you know to help us so it kind of bookends the collection which I rather like can I bookend? I know I know that you actually wrote it some time ago, but Breaking Milk is, I think, your most recently published novel. Yeah. It's a remarkable novel. Thank you. Where did that come from? What was the genesis of the idea there? It's also one day in a woman, a cheese-making woman's life. Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, you know, novels, as I see them, are, are they've got many tributaries. It's like a lake with many tributaries. And... Um, one of, the, one of the tributaries is reading Krista Wolf's book, Accident, Days and News, which is the life, a day in the life of a writer. Chernobyl has just blown up and there's radiation wafting over Europe. So she's cycling to the post office. She's coming back wanting to work in a garden. Switches on the radio. They're saying, don't go outside. Don't let the children eat lettuce and drink milk. At the same time, she's waiting to hear about her brother in hospital who's undergoing surgery for a brain tumor and they don't know whether he'll need radiation afterwards. So it's this meditation on radiation in our environment and the difficult, you know, the problematic and the good uses that we put it to. And it made a deep impression on me. So, so in terms of structure, that's where that came from. Secondly, I've got a friend who's a cheesemaker and our job shadowed him. And it just seemed to me it was a wonderful metaphor. You know, it's the milk of motherhood. It's the um, separation process, making process of cheese. It's the slowing down. You know, the book is a lot about, I mean, it's a, it's a day in the life. You live through every single moment with this woman from the time she wakes up to the time she goes to bed, which, uh, and I like a challenge. I mean, it could have been a very boring book. <laughs> but um, she's waiting to hear also about a surgery, her daughter's uh, conjoined twins are undergoing surgery on that particular day while she goes through the, the, her regular day of making cheese. And um, so, so I thought it was a great metaphor. And I learned a lot while I was job shadowing, shadowing Alia of Fane Boss Hook Farm. If you're ever in the Storms River district, go to, because I mean, it's, it's exactly, the, the, the landscape of the novel is exactly his uh, farm and he does run a restaurant from his home and you can also go and learn to make cheese there so just a little shout out for Fanboss Hook Farm um, highly recommended uh, so th there was there's so much environment of course environmental issues are very disturbing to me and I wanted to take them on in 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 this way in this form you know so she's rejected the new fast way of living where everything is artificial and plastic she's gone back to the old way of doing things um and, oh, what else? You know, again, there's a mother and daughter thing, that estrangement from your child uh, I wanted to explore in a different form. Um, sure. There's, there's you, you may be, that... You've maybe answered the question. Yes. Sorry, I just interrupted yeah, yeah, another yeah. thought there. But I was going to say, what, of, what uh, issues in your life did it deal with? But I think you've maybe answered it, but there was a little bit more there. Yeah, you know, so, well, the one thing that comes to mind is that 
I think as mothers, we want to go in and fix things. We want to be in control of our children's lives and we, I'm hamming it up a bit, but you know, we, we, we've got an, an idea of how our child's children, what we want for our children, you know, health and happiness and relationship and connection and uh, work. Uh, and I hadn't seen this coming in the book actually, but you know, the problem, and again, this protagonist is not me, although, you know, she has some characteristics that, you know, you could ascribe to me. But one of the things she does is she's a big fixer. She wants to go in and fix things. And I, I have been guilty of that, which is also, you know, it's a curse and a blessing. Um, but that thing of having to withhold, having to restrain yourself and hoping that there are other mothers in the world who can step in where you can, where you cannot go, you know, with your own children. That, that act of handing over and that maybe you can help somebody else's child where the mother can't help their own child. So it is that sense that of community really that, you know, we live in these nuclear families where we think, we forget that there's a big community. That's, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. So, and that whole question of not being so judgmental and, um, yeah, so that, that was, it was good for me to visit those thought habits and behavioral habits in myself to the extent that they are there um, and come up with a very, to me, very satisfying conclusion at the end of the book. I have to say that I was conscious of the fact that you would say it was definitely not you in the book, but as I read it, you were there in my <laughs> mind. So you were the image in the book. But just this, now it's sort of let's move on to the fixer and the healer in you. Um, aside from your doctoring, you're a, a doctor who, a writer who heals and a doctor who writes, I think is your line. <laughs> but the, just want to come to the sort of the healing aspect of the writing that you help other people release from themselves. Do you see it in action? Do you see with through the Life Writing Collective, do you see people actually releasing, feeling better from writing? Oh, definitely. I've been doing this work for 10 years. This is why I do the work. It's helped me. Writing has helped me, so I'm just passing the flame on. Uh, it, it's helped in, I don't know, 10, 20 different ways. You know, that's, the more I do this work, the more I see all the different ways. And it's not researched enough. Having said that, we have just well, it was actually two years that we did the research. We did a qualitative research with the um, primary health, Department of Primary Health Care at UCT, head by Steve Reed, who is a musician and part of the Medical Humanities Initiative in South Africa. And um, he helped us do this research with some medical students, eight medical students, uh, who went and did interviews with 20 of, of the people who've been through our courses and um, have, and now we're starting to write it up. And uh, I must say I can die now <laughs> because the, the quotes that have come out from people saying how much, it's easy, the trouble is that the education system often uh, injures us, you know, in ways, because this whole hierarchy of you're either a really good writer or you just fail and why bother? You know, it takes away that birthright of creativity, which we're all born with for good reason. Uh, so it's restoring that in people and, and helping people understand that this is not a competition. This is about finding your own unique way of saying something. There's certain basic mistakes that beginner writers make which we help them with and after that the writing is incredible and so people grow confidence they grow better better 
uh, ability to communicate. They grow compassion for themselves and for other people. They bear witness to their lives. You know, advocacy is really important. And um, this research has has verified that all these things are happening in, and we get people from all walks of of life in South Africa. So we've got that diversity, that inclusiveness in our in our courses. So it's proven work. Very briefly, I know you do a number of things within the collective, but very briefly, how does it work? Do, do people sign up for one course, two courses? What's give us the give us the sales pitch? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, yeah, I was running it as a business. I don't like that word, but essentially as a solo person. Uh, and I took it over from Anne Schuster, who was, when she first got ill, she offered me her memoir course, which was fully subscribed and she couldn't do it. So, and I nearly said no. <laughs> Thank goodness that little voice in my head that knows better than me said, do it. And it's changed my life hugely. So um, so I've been doing it for about 10 years. And then about three years ago, I wanted to publish some of the work that was coming out of the course, although our accent is not on publication. It's do this for your own mental health, like you brush your teeth for your dental health, write for your own mental health. But such brilliant stories were coming out anyway. So, we were, And we wanted more sponsored people in the room, uh, which required funding. So I found some funders and we started this nonprofit. So the idea is that we never turn anyone away. Those who can afford to pay the course for the course, help to subsidize people who can't afford so that we are inclusive. Um, and the, the courses that we have, if you go to our website, www.lifewriting.com, but you spell it R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G because you write about your life in order to write your life. You know, again, that image of the, of the dinghy going around the bay or the sailing ship heading out. You know, you want to, you don't want to capsize. So, and we've got an audio course which you can, uh, pay for or apply for uh, sponsorship. You download, you do it in your own time, and after that you can, or in the middle of that, you can join a follow-up gathering because I really deeply understand that it's a regular creative practice. You know, you can go on a workshop for a week and have a fabulous time and then never write again. Of course, it doesn't have to be writing. It can be painting or, or clay work or dance. It can be any form of creative practice, gardening. But um, so there's the audio course, which you download, you do in your own time. But there's something about the group process that is fantastic. There's um, a whole lot of writing courses from my life as a work of fiction to memoir to an ancestral course to poetry, all online. Go and have a look. There's short online courses for a little taster. Um, there's there's an online, online course. And, um, and then there's the regular follow-up. So once you've done a course, you can meet every month. We have several people running follow-up groups uh, to encourage you. Then you've got the deadline, you've got the community, you've got the feedback, you give feedback. So you are also getting into a better relationship with your inner critic that says you can't write and you're useless and you may as well stop now because that fake inner voice, that's the big fake news that says that you're no good. You start realizing, actually, I can write and actually that was quite effective, but maybe I can drop the first paragraph, you know, so we get that nuanced voice rather than... We sort of come voice. full cycle because that's how you began by saying, you know, it's it's all about the, the stories that you tell yourself that might not be true. And if you, if you yeah. keep writing, you can look at other ways of telling your story. Yeah. Just finally, one of the things that, or as you've been talking, it's clear that you've been writing since the age of seven. You've been, you know about The Tempest, you have, you're surrounded by books, you have a, a a lot of cultural um, history, if you like, that you can draw on. 
for a lot of people, they don't have that, yeah. which, I, and you were saying, you know, it's very necessary to read or it's very helpful to read if you're going to be a good writer. If somebody has not necessarily got that sort of education and that sort of background that you've had, is it still possible for it to be as healing as, as all that? Absolutely. You know, in fact, I'm just looking at TED Talks because I'm going to be doing a wellness um, short course for Tsiba and there's a, a lovely course uh, there's a lovely talk from a woman who, who, who also talks about think about the, the the instances that affected you and maybe moments where you didn't intervene in something that you saw um, and she's saying she's also saying you know just write it down I can't remember her name now oh dear anyway she's, she was saying um Write it down. You're bearing witness, and then you'll also find out if you write it in detail. That's that's one of the tricks, you know. Just write it down in sensory detail. Write what you saw and smelt and felt. Don't tell us what to think. Don't tell the reader what to think. If you show us what happened, then we'll get it. What your experience is. Hmm. So yeah, it, it can help anybody um, as long as you and write in your own language. You know if. Uh, if that's what the story needs, write in your mother tongue. If you're writing from your childhood, you know, your childhood experience, it usually does need to be in your mother tongue. Or write in a mix. You know, get really creative about how you tell your story. There's not People think there's one way of writing a story. There are many ways of writing a story, and you can get very creative. And just join it. the Life Writing Collective and you'll find out all oh, about yes. it. <laughs> oh, yes. You're all welcome. <laughs> very, very finally, uh, we're sitting here talking a great deal about, we talked a little bit about doctoring, but we talked mostly about writing. But I seem to remember that there's another discipline that's big in your life, which is dance. Ah, Are there times when you would rather be dancing than writing? (laughs) Well, tell me about dance in your life. Well, you know, I wrote that memoir, Dance with Suitcase, because there's something about dance that is nonverbal. You know, I think it takes you back to a a pre-verbal state. Um, it's it's my form of meditation. You know, I'm not very good at sitting on a cushion saying "om," but <laughs> but there's something about letting getting out of the thinking head and into the moving body. It's it stops you. It helps you process some, something on a subliminal level, and so you can go into the dance feeling disturbed and upset, and you don't even know why. You dance. You express yourself through the dance. By the end of the dance, you're feeling better, and you don't know why. I, I think we place too much emphasis on interpreting and analyzing and, you know, I mean, there is a place for that, obviously, you know, going into therapy and, and analyzing your dream. But I think that we're also built to process things in the unconscious in some way that helps us feel better. And if you're feeling better, you're going to behave better. You're going to make better choices. So I think, you know, we, all these are gifts that we are given as children and then we're told, oh, don't move like that, you look funny, or girls aren't allowed to move like that, or you know, and then we get put in these straight jackets and we forget how to experiment. You know, it's a, it's a form of experimentation as well. Increasing your movement vocabulary is one way of looking at it because I did train in dance therapy briefly um, just as an amateur. But um, it's a fantastic way because if you're exploring your physical movement, you're exploring something else as well, which is, you know, a bit mysterious. <laughs> so do you write poetry while you're dancing? Are you creating something in your head? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I come out of the dance with an idea for a poem. That is true. Yeah. In fact, in fact, match came out of a dance. <laughs> 
So much has come out of this. Thank you so much, Sean. Uh, Very best of luck. I'm not going to ask you because I always feel it's very unlucky to ask a writer if they're writing something new because you might just jinx it, so I won't ask you. (laughs) But we look forward to reading much, much more, and thank you very much for your time. You're a national treasure, Nancy. Thank you so much. This is my journey. Who knows what I've learned?